0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee and the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and for those who and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, the light has dawned from that time. Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near as he walked by the sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The gospel of the Lord. I invite y'all to be seated. So, it's an interesting moment in the ministry of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. The, the thing that makes this such an interesting moment is in part that opening line when Jesus heard that John had been arrested. Now, remember that, that John isn't just somebody who's a colleague for Jesus. You know, like there are other pastors in the area that I call my colleagues, some of whom I've met very few, but, you know, a lot of whom I haven't met. And like, I I feel like we have a little bit of kinship because we're in the same line of work, Like a lot of us do when we meet somebody, you know, oh, you're a accountant too, right? But, you know, I I don't necessarily have any deep connection to them. John was someone to whom Jesus had a deep connection. They were cousins. And not only that, though, not only were they related by blood, but they were related in, in some really substantial ways by ministry. You know, in in a lot of ways, the the story of Jesus is the story of John the Baptist passing on the mantle of ministry that he wore, that he maintained, that, that he had shepherded for the time that he was in that ministry, passing it on to Jesus. Not just because, you know, he had been arrested and spoiler alert, you know, it doesn't end well for John. Herod beheads John. But, you know, it's not just because John was headed to his doom. It was because John recognized in Jesus the one for whom he was preparing. You know, remember, make straight the pathways of the Lord, and, you know, the high places will be made low, and the low places, so that it's an even road that we're making for the Lord's coming, and so Jesus is the one who John had been pointing to his entire ministry. But there's another piece of this context that I think is so important. Remember, John is not just some backwater prophet who lived in the desert, who occasionally would come out and say crazy things. John was someone that people from all over the countryside came to see. And so when we're naming all of these places that maybe we've read on a map, but most of us couldn't point out on a map probably if we, if we had to or if they offered us a million dollars, you know, these places indicate that John and then Jesus also had a pretty significant, widely scattered geographical influence. Now, it's funny because when I tell people that I live in Bedford and I drive about 35 minutes to get here, people a lot of times will say, holy cow, you live a far way away. Yeah, but I have heat and I have air conditioning during the summer and I have a car and, you know, I have a refrigerator. So if I want to pack a sandwich to get here or something, not that I need a sandwich for 30, well, sometimes, you know, but, you know, it's not hard for me to get ready to come over to Foxborough. It's, It's an easy trip. But if you want to go, when's the last time anyone in here just decided to walk five miles for fun, right? I'm I'm raising my hand only as an example. I don't do that very often. But even though that region might not geographically necessarily be very big, when you're talking about people who don't have cars, who don't have AC or heating, when when they don't have refrigeration so that they can carry their food with them to make sure that they have lunch, you know, when they know that if they're going to walk five, 10, 15 miles, it's not only going to – take most of the day to get there and back, but it's going to require a lot of effort and planning. It's not like this was a group of people who woke up in the morning and said, oh, well, I think I'm going to go hear John preach, or I think I'm going to go hear Jesus preach. These are people who had to plan because when you're walking that kind of distance, the vulnerability that you have to your hunger, to the elements, to whatever crazy people you might meet on the road is increased. And so all of these people were people who really intentionally showed up there. And and so a lot of times when we think of the crowd that might have seen John and Jesus, I think we also think, you know, like a, a lot of the pictures, what we see are people who kind of are middle adult, early adult. But, you know, the other thing that's really important in the scripture to give us a little bit of context of what Jesus' ministry was at this point, is it said he did a lot of healing. And that means that people who were sick must have gotten to him. And in in Matthew chapter 5, which is coming up shortly, we, you know, that's where we get the, the sermon on you know, the blessed are you and everything like that. And think about the people he says are blessed. You know, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst. Blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness sake. You know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the sick. The people that he's saying are blessed are the people who show up in his congregation because who else is he, is he going to be healing? For those people who show up for sick. Now remember, this is also in a period of time where if you get a headache, you can't just take a child. You know, it's in, it's in a period of time where, where if you're in pain, you're just going to be in pain. And, and that means that if you're going to travel, you're going to travel in pain. And that means it's not just people who, who have an easy time of getting around who show up to hear John and who show up to hear Jesus. But it's people who have to very intentionally choose to move even though it's going to hurt, even though it's inconvenient. And so you get people who can't walk. You get people who have been afflicted for years. You get people who have leprosy. And so when you look at the congregation of people who gather to see John and gather to see Jesus, you see a congregation of people that's not just kind of healthy people who who wander over. But you also see a group of people who have every kind of disease who are making the intentional effort to get there to see Jesus because they have hope that Jesus is going to heal them. And I, I think all these years later, that's a lot of what brings us to church. That's a lot of what us, what brings us to Jesus too. That there's something that we see in Jesus that gives us hope. And maybe it's hope that we'll have healing and maybe it's hope that maybe we'll just have hope. And, and maybe it's hope that that finally something is going to quit for us because things haven't been making sense. But I think all of us end up in this place because somehow in Jesus we see hope. It, it's interesting to, to see the way this, this event in the life of Jesus is is the, the changing of the guard between John and Jesus. Because, first of all, it's a significant personal event for him. And we, we spend a lot of time thinking about Jesus, Son of God. And, and remember, that is part of our theology. We believe that God is, or Jesus is fully God. And we believe that Jesus is fully human. I think this is a moment where perhaps the lineage of Jesus that's more important is Jesus, Son of Mary... When we consider how important John must have been to Jesus, you know, at some point Jesus had people in his own life of faith who are the people who influenced the way he believed, the way he talked, the way he thought, and I think John was one of these people. And so Jesus, Son of Mary, who has the fullness of humanity, is also one who has the fullness of human emotions. That that feeling. I imagine, because it doesn't tell us how Jesus felt, but we know what it feels like when all of a sudden we get an, like, if we get a promotion we didn't expect, or we get a job that we don't necessarily feel qualified for, but somehow we got it anyway, you know? Or, or the first time you bring your child home from the hospital, is there anybody who doesn't feel incompetent for that for the first? I don't know. It's been 22 and a half months for me, and I'm still there, right? It, you know, we all have those moments where just that sense of, holy cow, they trust me with this, Mm -hmm. right? I, I imagine this must have been a moment for Jesus, and I think it's important for us to think about the way Jesus responded to this. Jesus didn't go off and all of a sudden start preaching and teaching and saying, well, you know, he did say the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news, but that's kind of his theme throughout all four gospels. But the the thing that Jesus did wasn't go off by himself and become another lone prophet like John was. And I'd even say that John wasn't alone because we know that John had other people who kind of did stuff with him. But the first thing that Jesus did was he went and called disciples. You know, So that's what this story is. This is the story of what does Jesus do when he finds that this is now the ministry that he has been called to maintain and shepherd over? Jesus begins... By finding the people who are going to help him, you know the, the children this morning. We I asked them if they knew what the call was, and the best answer, of course, is well they didn't have phones back then, and so it must have been Jesus shouting, you know. And, and we talked about how uh, you know in, in a church when we when we hire a pastor, we don't call it hiring a pastor. In fact, it's different contractually too. But we call it calling a pastor. And it's because the call is something that gets not to employment, but vocation. What we in the church are calling a pastor to do, and will be calling a pastor to do before too terribly long, is is to be the person who shepherds this congregation in their faith journey. To be the person who continually holds up the mirror to us as we talk about the things that we want to remind us as we see ourselves in the mirror that what we're seeing is the reflection of what God is pouring into us so that we might be able to do the things that God is calling us to do. Because this call that we have into the life of the Christian is a call of vocation, not of employment. It's the mission of our lives, not the mission of our job, right? And and so when we talk about call in the church, what we're talking about is that deep sense of of wanting of to do the very things that have been put into our hands to do because God has given us the ability to do them through the unique gifts that each of us has, right? So Jesus calls the disciples. And, and even though, you know, as Lutherans, we don't necessarily talk about a moment of decision all that often, there, there are some moments in our lives of faith where we have to make a decision to do something because it means leaving something else behind. And, and we see these moments for, for Simon and for his brother John where they are fishing and Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And they drop their nets and leave behind their boats and, and then they go and follow Jesus, right? And then he runs, he runs across James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and he says, follow me. And the sons of Zebedee leave their father and leave the boats and go follow Jesus. Poor Zebedee. Because that meant that day he had to put all that fishing stuff up by himself, right? Either he was a really good father and said, good luck, kids. Or he was a really angry father and said, good luck, kids. Right? Sometimes the same words have such different meanings. And and the, the whole thing that we realize is that sometimes, and it was interesting, the kids really dug this too. Sometimes when we choose to do one thing, we have to leave something else behind. And so, you know, I asked them, what are some of the things that that you find that you're going, you know, and and so actually what I said was, you know, if Jesus came to you during school and Jesus said, put down your pencils and follow me, you know, would you follow? And to a person, they all said, yeah, because we get to leave school. And actually, then I thought about some of the jobs I've had, and I realized that wouldn't be a very hard thing to do, right? But, you know, we think about Simon, who we call Peter. Peter will find his name. You know, Jesus renamed him Cephas. And what's really interesting about that is we think Cephas the Rock. I had a Greek professor, Dr. Madsen, who was, I think think she taught Jesus Greek. She was so old when I had her in college. And she said that Cephas is a lot more like Rock. And so Jesus doesn't even give Peter a good name. Like, you are Lithos the Rock. You're Rock. You were Simon, which was a very respectable name, and now you're Rock. You know, you leave behind a lot of things, and some of what we leave behind is identity. That's what Paul was getting into today. You know, Paul was saying, you know, I hear there's division, because Chloe's people told me. Poor Chloe's people, because he just kind of named them, that they went and told on them, right? But then he says, and I'm, I'm so glad that I didn't baptize any of you, well, except for these couple of people. But there shouldn't be any division of you. You know, it's not like you are baptized in the name of Paul, or you are baptized in the name of Paulus, or, you know, do you worship Paul or Apollos? No, you are not baptized in that way. There shouldn't be those divisions. It's kind of like saying, you know, we had that history event yesterday. It's kind of like saying that, you know, I was, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm in the faith of Schulhaus, or I'm in the faith of Schlacht, or I've baptized a couple of kids here. Someone, someone may one day be able to say, I'm in the faith of Wolf. You know, it's not about house or Schlock or Wolf. It's about the family of God in the we of baptized that breaks down all the divisions between us, calling us to be that family of God who chooses to leave behind those things to divide us so that we can choose to follow Jesus, right? It's it's a it's about that deeper identity that we have. So as we as we think about what all this means, you know, I, I think that. This idea of, of, of having to leave some things behind so that we can pick other things up has a lot of opportunity and a little bit of danger in it. Because sometimes the things we're called to give up are things that we really like about ourselves. You know, I, I find... I don't know about y'all, but occasionally I'll find myself thinking, I'm, yeah, I'm, I know a little bit better than they do. They should really listen to me. Most of the time I'm right, you know. But, but you have to... See, Lauren's nodding her head, so she knows I'm right. So often, but you know, you have to. I have to give some of that up because I recognize that I'm not the only one who has answers, right? Or, or sometimes what we have to give up is something we're really proud of, and and sometimes those things we have to give up are hard to give up, not because we're proud of them, but we're used to carrying them. You know, think about think about a leper, someone who was who was cast outside of their community because their disease was. You know, You know, someone who wasn't allowed to live with their family, someone who couldn't go to the temple, someone who had to live in a camp outside, their healing meant that they left behind the community of support they'd been able to build during their illness and go back to the people who they kicked out. Can you imagine how scary that would be? To to have to go back to the community that kicked you out? You know, that's a... You do have to choose to leave something behind, even when those good things happen, right? You know, we came up here because Lauren finished her PhD, and, and got a job doing the very thing she wanted to do. And we were excited to move here. And we had to leave an awful lot back home. That, that's what it is to follow Jesus. You know, it's, it's living in that constant state of flux. Following into places that we don't necessarily see very clearly yet. And yet, trusting that where God is leading us is someplace that goes somewhere. This week, as you go out from this place, think about, you know, what are, what are the things that in choosing to follow Jesus, we have to choose to leave behind? What are, what are those things that are, that are hard for us to leave behind? What are those things that we'd like to leave behind but find ourselves resistant to? Where is it that God is calling you to follow? And, and how can you engage in that act of trust that wherever it is we're following is a place that God intends.